The Cozy Robot Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cozy Robot Show. I'm Grace Vaughn, and I am going to be your host this evening. All right, let's jump into the little script that I have written, <laughs> because as you can see, Mike McHarg is not joining us tonight. Unfortunately, Mike has a very bad case of food poisoning. He's going to be totally okay, but he can't join us tonight. So I'm taking the reins as my producer, as the show's producer, Victory, told me right before the show, she said, this is kind of like when the, <laughs> when the lead in the play gets sick and you've been studying your lines and it's time to go on. Uh, so this is that night for me. Um, let me jump into the script really quick. So as you know, I'm Grace Vaughn. Usually I'm the social media manager for the Cozy Robot Show and Quantum Spin Studios, the production company that runs the Cozy Robot Show. But tonight I am your host. Um, and on the Cozy Robot Show, we understand the world and how we relate to our feelings, which is so important right now. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitch right now. You can say hello by commenting in what on whatever platform you are currently viewing the show on. The show comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays and we release each segment uh, from every episode over the week on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So if there's a segment you want to share with friends or family, we make that really easily. You can like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and get updates. Uh, and then you can join our Cozy Robot Show Discord. We have over 700 Cozy Robots already on the Discord. And if you don't know what the F a Discord is, tune in uh, or stay, stick around for the end of the episode and I will explain it all. Okay, so tonight, uh, Mike cannot be with us, but we are joined by the exceptional duo from a podcast called Pixel Therapy. They are thoughtful, hilarious, and video game loving. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the topic of safe spaces. And without further ado, let me introduce them. Jamie and Spencer. Hi, Jamie and Spencer. Hello. So Hi, for everybody. our audience, can you each take a moment to introduce yourselves and say your pronouns if you're comfortable sharing them? Sure. Should Hello. I go first? <laughs> you go first. So in our, in our show intro, typically Jamie goes first. first, but we're going to switch it up tonight. Switcheroo, um, <laughs> audible. Yes, switcheroo. Hi, uh, my name is Spencer Cassiano. My pronouns are they, them, and I am the co-host of Pixel Therapy. Amazing. And I'm Jamie Siebenhaller. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am also a co-host of Pixel Therapy. Amazing. And I forgot to say my pronouns up top, so I will say that they are she, her, and I'm Grace, the host of the Cousy Robot Show tonight. <laughs> All right. So we are joined by Jamie and Spencer tonight, and I'm so excited to have them on because their podcast is one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Podcasts. Now, um, if you know me at all, you know that I just recently got into gaming and I fell head over heels for it. So I started picking up all these games. I learned about cozy gaming. I learned about variety gaming. And that's when I started doing a little research into um, people who liked gaming as much, probably more than <laughs> I could even dream. And I stumbled across Pixel Therapy. What I loved the most about Pixel Therapy when I discovered it for myself was that much like the Cozy Robot Show, the 
pixel therapy is about video games, but about so much more. Emotional intelligence is a part of the introduction to pixel therapy, uh, the show itself. And um, that, like the Cozy Robot show, is is so important what you're talking about with gaming and how it makes you feel. It truly is pixel therapy. Mm. So without further ado, let me jump into some questions for you both. So Spencer, well, actually, let's back it up. Let's back it up. Spencer and Jamie, would you both tell me a little bit about yourselves, a little bit about pixel therapy, allowing people to understand kind of where you guys are coming from. How long have you gamed? Maybe we could start there. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for such a glowing introduction of the show. Uh, It's really validating to hear someone sort of picking up what we're putting down. Um, Our slogan, one of our little slogans is, um, we're the podcast where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. And we really just feel like games uh, are just such a great jumping off point for all kinds of conversations about identity, belonging, finding your place, processing events and trauma. Um, It's a space where unlike so many other forms of entertainment or art, it truly puts you in the shoes of a completely different person in a completely new world. And I I find, uh, I struggle to find something that helps me build empathy as much as a game does. Um, I feel like in gaming, oh my gosh, since I could pick up a controller, like four years old, uh, the Sega Dreamcast was one of my first consoles. Um, what about you, Jamie? What What's your gaming history? <laughs> uh, yeah, a topic we've discussed at length on the podcast. Uh, I also started gaming pretty much as long as I can remember, uh, introduced to it by my dad. Uh, we had a Sega Genesis in the house. Um, and yeah, I've just uh, I've pretty much stuck with gaming my whole life. I don't know. There was, you know, some downtime in college. Everyone has gamer breaks. Um, But yeah, much like Spencer, I think gaming has been, um, it's been a place of, it's been a safe space. I think we'll talk about more of that later. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Yes. But it's been a place where I could, yeah, explore aspects of my identity that I didn't feel like uh, I could explore in my real life. It's been a place to explore new concepts, learn things, uh, and, you know, get into enriching stories. Um, It's just, I think it's a really fulfilling pastime. I think like most art, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, And that's, you know, what we're trying to do with pixel therapy is have those conversations about what people are putting into it when they're gaming and, and simultaneously trying to broaden the idea of who gamers are. I do think the term gamer uh, has a lot of baggage um, and has become really a code word for a very toxic subset of the gaming community. Mm -hmm. And we're really interested in talking to folks who buck that notion, who have different relationships to games, um, and it, yeah, just to create this idea that lots of people game and it's not it's not just this one stereotype of what we have as a gamer. And uh, there's a lot to get out of games. So what brought you? So you just mentioned, Jamie, uh, creating pixel therapy. Uh, what brought you both to decide, you know, we've got a lot to say about games more than just, oh, I liked that game. Oh, I didn't like that game. I mean, for those of you who are tuning in, who have not listened to Pixel Therapy yet, you're doing yourself a disservice because the show goes into like understanding your family through games, understanding representation and inclusion through games. What brought you both to, uh, to, 
to talk about those things when it came to games. It does it does it feel like games are inextricably linked to those things for you both? I mean, games to me have always been yes, inextricably linked. It definitely resonates. I think to 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 back up and answer your question, um, I think we found one thing we wanted to do is that if we were making content and putting it out there, um, we didn't want it to be super uh, like just self-reflective or um, like talking about ourselves, like, oh, what are we playing? What are you playing? Right. Um, how is it going? Um, we, we like, because games mean so much to us, uh, we wanted to kind of share this notion that games can be art, games can be therapy, games can be tools um, for self-improvement or for building bridges or for communication or um, for so many other uh, types of things. And um I think the guest component um, was critical from the beginning. Like we wanted to create conversations where we would learn just as much as the guest was benefiting from sharing space with us. Um, and, you know, I think too, we were the two of us, our friendship, uh, we've been friends for almost like eight years now, but I think a lot wow. of our early friendship was as two very socially awkward introverts. Um, a lot of our time was spent, on Jamie's couch, me watching Jamie play. We were the original <laughs> girlfriend reviews, just saying. But um, <laughs> like, I would just sit there, watch her play, and we would talk. And Jamie, honestly, I'm still blown away at the fact that you were able to focus on playing while talking to me because a lot of the conversations <laughs> would, I mean, Jamie has been by me through coming out as bi and then later coming out as trans. Jamie's been there for me through um, a lot of personal trauma and things that have happened in my life. And, and I just feel like um, we would have really deep conversations while we were playing games. And so, mm. I don't know, I think the podcast just sort of became, uh, it evolved from, from that core thread of our friendship. Wow. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I just, you know, since this is a public forum, I have to quickly say that Spencer has also been there for me through a lot of very <laughs> serious things. And they're also a fantastic friend and a wonderful human. Um, so I just had to get that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's in the friend contract, of course. Yeah. You gotta yeah. mention yeah. it. You <laughs> gotta mention it. So um, to, oh, sorry, go ahead, sorry. Jamie, please. Oh, I mean, I was just gonna double click on everything that Spencer said and and add that. The when we started the podcast, Spencer had the idea initially and was like, we should start a podcast because we're already having these really in-depth conversations about games right. and like what they mean to us and like yeah. all of these other, and like what they mean for like society and these right, like, like capture it. It's like liquid <laughs> yeah. gold. You know, we're yeah. having these, these text threads that are just like you know, that's incredible. Like, let's just record it. Uh, you know, and our partners are like not even wanting to hang out with us because <laughs> we'll just fill an hour just talking, just the two of us. And right. I was just like, I don't know, there's so many people on the internet just like talking about things like, right. so, so I really think like, you know, this idea of like bringing in guests and having the conversation with them and trying to like, I don't know, selfishly, I feel like I'm learning a lot through the podcast too. And, and I'm feeling really fulfilled by the conversations that we're having with guests and by the conversations that we're having with our audience. So yeah, I, we never wanted it to be something that was just about putting ourselves out there. It was really about uh, what what might get reflected back at us in the process. And I think that's been really, but that's especially been rewarding for me personally. That's amazing. And I mean, I, I learned you're, you hit it right on the, you hit the nail right on the head, Jamie, because I learned so much 
from y'all's podcast, especially from the expert guests that come on. You've had several therapists on. Uh, mm-hmm. One therapist uh, was talking about the the myth of laziness, and I and I won't get into that because I I truly do urge everyone to go listen to the episode. Don't take my word for it. Go learn. Um, in the in our chat live now, Elizabeth S from YouTube says, "I love this in education." We talk about how play is an enormous pathway to learning. And I believe Elizabeth is referencing something uh, that Spencer said earlier about playing and learning and something that Jamie is touching on as well about uh, how the podcast is, you you both have done an exceptional job turning it into something that is very educational for people as well. So tonight we are going to get a little bit educational again, but because we do not have Mike, it is going to be the education that friends give each other about with through <laughs> through uh, the retelling and narrative of personal experience. So, um, and hey, I I love that, and I am joined by uh, Spencer and Jamie, two very very um, eloquent, thoughtful people who I'm sure have amazing things to say about our topic tonight, which is safe spaces. So Spencer and Jamie, what comes to mind when I say the phrase safe space? What feelings come up? What do you see in your head? Thoughts? Yeah. Um, and quickly, before I answer that question, yeah. I did. I also saw that comment from Elizabeth S. Thank you so much for bringing that up. The person that you were just mentioning, Grace, um, who we had on our show was Dr. Devin Price, who um, is a social psychologist and the author of the book, Laziness Does Not Exist, which I highly recommend folks check out. Um, they came on our show and talked all about how play is not just a great tool for learning, but a necessary way to spend our time in order to become resilient enough uh, to to like learn the skills, um, to build empathy, to communicate, um, to build self-reliance and the ability to, um, you know, operate under stress and cope with change. Um, Mm. All of these things can be improved through play and and through um, something like a video game, which has guardrails in place where you know that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will progress to the next stage. You will get a reward um, and you will uh, grow. Um, there's so ma- there's so few opportunities in life where if you do everything right, there's a guarantee that you will progress and grow and be rewarded. Yeah. And to have that recognition and that validation um, that you are a worthy and good and necessary person, um, it's, it's very little that we get those opportunities outside of games, which are kind of these mini worlds where we can be, uh, we can have that, um, that unconditional love and success. So definitely check out that book. Definitely check out um, Devin Price's work. But to your question, um, what comes to mind when I think of a safe space? So, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to interpret this as a very personal question. Like what to me personally does a safe space look like and mean? And I will say, um, you know, as a trans person um, and as someone who is, in many cases, very visibly not of uh, a binary gender, like male or female. Um, I am someone who is very used to moving through spaces where I'm instantly uh, in suspicion or Mm -hmm. seen as an invader or made to feel unwelcome. Um, You know, as human beings, we're, we're very social creatures. We like to be able to fit in, to fall in line, to be part of an in group. 
Um, and, and one of the hardest things we can go through as, as people is to be ostracized, to be ignored, to be pushed out. Um, people die of loneliness. Um, you know, yeah. being pushed out of a group is, is, is one of the hardest things you can go through. And so for me, um, I think a safe space is one where I feel heard, where I feel like I can say something or express a feeling um, and, I, and I'm not going to be judged first by what I am and instead by what I say and what I contribute. Um, and so I think safe spaces, um, I think there's, this, there's this assumption very often that a safe space must be one where everyone has the same identity or everyone has the same um, ideas. Um, and while there are many spaces that can be built on a shared interest or a shared identity, um, no identity is a monolith. No hobby is a monolith. Um, there are people within that who may share a lot of uh, traits with you who have vastly different experiences of that hobby or that context or bringing all sorts of different beliefs. Um, so a safe space isn't a space isn't going to necessarily be safe just because it's filled with people who look like or are into the same things as you. Um, but I feel like a truly safe space is one where um, anyone can enter and not have to be afraid for um, how they'll be perceived or, or what they can share. And of course, there's so much more to that, which I can get into later, but that's my initial answer. <laughs> I love that initial answer. That's lovely. Jamie, what are your thoughts? What comes to your mind when you well, hear I, safe spaces? Yeah, for sure. I think Spencer's hitting the nail on the head of like the essence of what the like the feeling that needs to be cultivated in the space. And then the the thing that I would kind of add is in my experience, they tend to fall into kind of two categories, not that they necessarily have to be mutually exclusive categories, but there's, I think of the safe space that I'm looking for when I need to relax and recharge. Mm. Um, and that might be a safe space that I'm cultivating with friends or maybe just with my partner or it's at home. It's in a space where I'm not going to, uh, you know, as a, as an extreme introvert, like none of my social energy is going to get drained. It's going to recharge, uh, in that space. And then there's also safe spaces that are cultivated around learning and engagement. And those are spaces that are made so that, uh, folks can come into the space and, and learn from each other and have a dialogue can engage in healthy conflict. Um, but in a way where, um, harm is, uh, there's care taken to avoid harm and, and, boundaries set up so that if harm occurs, there's a process for attending to it. Damn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, there's this quote, which I'm sure people have heard before by Prentice Hemphill, who is a embodiment coach and writer and community organizer. And they write and say, um, boundaries are the distance at which I can love both you and me simultaneously. Like, I think when people mm -hmm. hear the word boundaries, they think walls, they think, oh, there's rules. I, I can't do something wrong. Like I, we live in a culture where we're very scared of making a mistake, especially in a public forum and, and becoming canceled. Um, and so I think changing the way we think of boundaries from not being walls, but to being um, protections put in place to ensure that we can communicate the most openly and the most authentically with each other while not causing harm um, is something that we should all be striving for. Yeah. And, and something else that that brings to mind is that the protections put in place, and I think you both are saying this, uh, the protections put in place shouldn't be stifling, shouldn't stifle, like Jamie mentioned, uh, healthy conflict. Um, it, the safe space doesn't have to be the padded room and no one else is there and you're safe 
by virtue of you're alone and nothing can go wrong. You can't say, you can't put your foot in your mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. A safe space can also be, I'm hearing from both of what you are saying about your own experiences. A safe space can be where mistakes can be made uh, because that's where the learning occurs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a space that like, like this idea that there could be a perfectly comfortable space where there is no harm at all. Like that's just like a space without any humans. I don't know. I think we we inherently like fuck up and step on each other's toes. And it's, it's more about like, how do we attend to that when it happens? How do we take care of people when they say that hurt and, and respond to that in a, in a way that's healthy and that um, makes that person feel taken care of and loved. And, and something you just said really resonated with me, Jamie, you said, uh, how do we respond to someone getting hurt or hurting us? And um, earlier Spencer was saying how they want to feel heard. And so perhaps safe space could be more accurately termed a responsive space, a a listening space, uh, somewhere where we're heard and acknowledged and then we move forward and better ourselves because of it. Um, So my next question tonight for both of you is this. What safe spaces have you experienced that went really well? Anything come you to mind? To you want me to go first, Spencer? Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, kind of falling into my my two categories here that I outlined. I mean, there's there's a safe space that that I have at home. Like I very specifically uh, at like. I'm, I'm married to a person, uh, my partner, and I, he is someone that I totally recharge around. Like we don't, uh, he's not a, a drain on me. That sounds awful, but like, no, as an no, introvert, I totally like get it, most, though. Social, most social interactions are an energy output for me. And he's one of a handful of people I can count in my life that is an energy input to be around. Wow. And so being at home with him, with our dog, playing games, that's a safe space. It's a, and, and particularly I usually play games that are, uh, solo. Like, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of online gaming. Sometimes, uh, my partner and I will play games together, but it's a solitary activity that lets me just be comfy and recharge in that space. On the other side of the coin, uh, learning space, I think I've been really lucky that my place of employment has afforded me an opportunity to participate in a lot of, um, really honest conversations around uh, tough topics, race, social justice. Um, But we recently did an activity of a story circle uh, that I got to participate in. And the facilitator uh, just like, it wasn't even comfortable. (laughs) Like it (laughs) it involved a lot of like, like I had to sing with a group of people. Tell personal stories about our interaction with our own race and then make a play out of it. And it was super uncomfortable, but it also felt really safe because everyone was engaging honestly. I think a lot of that comes down to the facilitator and the space that they're creating with conversations like that. But those are two examples of safe spaces that I've personally encountered. Mm. Yeah, like like Jamie was touching on, a safe space can look like so many things. Um, I think for me one type of safe space that has been healing is, um, you know, like, like many others have, uh, I've experienced, you know, childhood trauma, Mm. um, and just the trauma that comes out of, um, being a visibly trans person. Um, I've experienced racism. I'm biracial, half 
Filipino and half white. And um, I think it's complicated for me because I'm, I'm red. My race is red differently depending so much on the context in which I'm in. And uh, so often my race becomes a topic that other people feel that they have the authority to decide for me and mm. tell me what I am. Um, and I think I've experienced that as a biracial person. I've experienced that as a trans person who, who people sometimes feel very uncomfortable and want to label in order to make themselves feel safer being around me. Um, I've seen that at work, especially with, uh, I think, workplaces and this idea of professionalism in general is one that is incredibly... Uh, heteronormative and binary and can be restraining even for someone who just um, has a has a different body or or isn't or is neurotyp not neurotypical or just experiences uh, life in a way that at all differs from um, what is considered to be successful or professional whatever whatever definitions you want to use to to make that and so with so many aspects of my life where I feel like I have to fight, to be, yeah, thanks, Elizabeth S. Ew, professionalism yeah. mood. Uh, yeah. Um, like so much of my life is a negotiation um, or I feel like I have to prove to people that I exist. Like just as a non-binary person, so many people like just discredit me right off the bat because they're like, that's not real. Well, actually non-binary mm -hmm. people, two-spirit indigenous people have, like the, the concept of a Two-spirit is a is a gender identity in many indigenous communities. Um, and if, even if we're just talking about the U.S., um, like this idea of male and female, a two binary gender and gender roles uh, is an invention of colonialism that was just started to be enforced in like the early mid 1900s. So like uh, it's just the, the idea that trans people are just coming out of, the, of nowhere and everyone is trans now. Um, that feeling uh, is not based in reality. It's based in the fact that uh, for the past several decades, the narrative we've been told about what people look like and, and how we're meant to behave, um, it's it's come from a very small but vocal uh, majority. Um, and it's product of white supremacy and colonialism. But anyway. <laughs> no, uh, but that's, <laughs> it's important to, to say those things because it really, it, things really start to unravel when you look at history and you're learning like yes. facts <laughs> about things. You're like, oh shit, like all this shit that we were told yeah. growing up, that's not that's not true. <laughs> so, so thank you. It bears saying, it bears repeating, please, please. Um, but just, you know, in, in a world that's not designed to accommodate me, um, where I'm so used to having every aspect of my being called into question, I think a safe space is one where I have control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me is, is, um, having a space, having my own room that I can decorate to my liking and have all the things that I need to be happy and to feel safe. Like that's a safe space um, just because no one can take that away from me. No one can redefine that, recontextualize, overwrite that. Um, you know, I'm a writer, um, publishing writing, publishing the podcast. That's another irrefutable uh, I, I've put it out there. You can't unwrite it. You can't unsay it. Um, those are safe spaces. Um, I think for me, you know, like so many others before me, sharing space with trans people, having those spaces where we're able to exist completely outside of the of what we call, you know, the cis gaze, mm. but this 
idea that even when I'm amongst allies, there's still a level of sort of translating myself, packaging myself, explaining myself in a way that can be understood by someone who shares no frame of reference with my experience. It's nice sometimes to just be able to let my metaphorical hair down and be around people who there's no sort of... uh, translation gap between us. Like I can just be me and be seen as me without having to tell people how to see me. Um, That all is is incredibly powerful. Um, And sometimes I find that that safe space is one that I exist in alone. Uh, But I think being alone is okay when I can just be me without explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are really powerful words. Just being me without explanation is kind of a gateway to a safe space. I, um, I, I don't want to say I suffer from because I just, I live with it. I live with bipolar disorder and various other mental illnesses. And, um, a safe space for me is actually really, it's been like mapped out. It's been, medically determined by a doctor that I work with on the regular what a safe space looks like for me I think unlike unlike neurotypical people um I have had to put really conscious not and again not general not uh making a over generalization or anything like that mm-hmm. but in my personal experience I've had to put some serious thought into what a safe space looks like for me um and I think that uh and and for me like uh Jamie was saying being with uh uh, her dog and her partner who don't, uh, sap energy. And, um, Spencer, you were saying being with people who don't need you to translate constantly what your experience is, um, that I, I really, really deeply resonate with that because when you're having, um, when you are having, uh, an episode, a manic episode, or you are feeling very, very bad mentally, being able to look at my support system and say, Hey, I'm not feeling good. And they know that's code for, Mm. Oh, I know, I know I may not understand your situation. Your, uh, I may not myself be bipolar, but I understand what you need. You need the dog. Um, because similarly, Jamie, I also use my dog as my safe space. Like <laughs> uh, he's the best. Um, they're good at that. Oh yeah. They're, they're kind of, the, they're, they're probably the best, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, the dog, uh, changing for me, it's changing textures, uh, changing my mm. body's temperature. So I've, I've learned that literally the, f- and, uh, you know, if Mike were here, he could explain the science of it, but the the uh, psychology and the of changing your body where your body is in space can really affect you uh, safe space wise. Um, yeah, so both of what you said really resonates with me, and um, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's a powerful thing to name what your safe space is. I think because then no mm. one, at least in my experience, it's hard to take it away from you. 
Spencer mm. was saying uh, publishing the podcast and publishing their work is is in it of itself safe. It's a safe um, action and a safe space. And no one can take that away from Spencer. That, that I think, is... Yeah is important to safe spaces. Although would you, would you all say that safe spaces can be like, just as a thought experiment, can they be taken away? Can they be changed? Can they be ruined? Can they be, I, I mean, as I'm speaking, I'm saying, you know, no one can take away my safe space, but th there are, there are situations I've been in where I've gone, Oh, this isn't a safe space anymore. Like in college, mm. I've been, uh, I suffer from extreme anxiety and I was a performance major, which is the joke of the century. And I, mm -hmm. um, I remember, um, telling myself that the big scary performance area could be my safe space if only I focused on making it my safe space. So I would go there every day for lunch and eat there alone to try to acclimate myself to it so that later when auditions happened or performances happened that I would be ready for it. But I'm interested to hear y'all's yeah. thoughts about can safe spaces be tarnished? Can they be, um, can things get in the way? Can they deteriorate? Absolutely. Absolutely. A safe space can be taken away. I, I think something to remember is that like any relationship cultivating a safe space takes work. Mm -hmm. It takes being, it takes the constant heart work of keeping yourself open to change, to differing opinions, to your own emotional capacity and how that can fluctuate, how burnout can creep in. Yeah. Um, like it, it takes work. And I think for us, <laughs> making content in the gaming space. Some Ooh. days it feels like we're dancing right on the edge of a precipice. You know, all it takes is one white man with a big platform to decide that you are threatening gaming culture by daring to speak the truth of your existence and that you also engage with games. Uh, I don't know how familiar this, this crowd is with sort of the, you know, gaming culture, but, um, you know, women... Uh, uh, trans folks, black folks, um, folks who make up huge parts of the gaming community are, are still seen as very niche minority groups within this very diverse um, industry. And it's just because the, the people who um, have the biggest platforms and um, are part of the biggest, you know, developers and companies um, can often, very often turn out to be white, cis, and male. Um, and so, you know, there have certainly been times where, um, you know, we get hateful comments on Instagram and I just, I have a zero tolerance policy. I, I think for a lot of people with marginalized identities who are used to kind of that day-to-day -day survival, um, you have to pick your battles. Uh, you have this urge, you think, Oh, I can reason with this person. They don't. They don't know me. They don't right. know that I'm not a piece of shit. Right. Like if, I, if only I could like get through to them. Yeah, I, I don't hate me. Me saying I've had this bad experience is not the same as me saying no white men should be allowed to play games. Like there's a there's a big difference right. between me talking about my personal experience and making a sweeping statement about entire groups of people. Mm. Um, but it, it, I think especially in the gaming space, it, sometimes it can feel like there's not a lot of room for nuanced conversation. Um, 
I, I think people can be very protective of gaming as a hobby and as a personality trait. Like there's, there's a, there is a culture of masculinity that can be built around games. Um, one of, of competition of sportsmanship um, that can sort of devolve into um, this sort of, edging out of people who aren't seen as worthy enough to be gamers. Oh, you don't take gaming seriously enough, so you can't be a real gamer. You don't play this type of game, so you're not a real gamer. You don't hit these scores, um, so you're not a real mm. gamer. It's like there's there's all of, we put up all of these uh, qualifiers and, and gatekeeps. Um, and so, you know, uh, absolutely safe spaces can be taken away. I think it's a matter of, um, you know, building the space for us it's building the space that we want to build um trying to be as inclusive in in our language and how we're framing things as we can um doing our best to shield ourselves from the hate when it comes in and being aware that every day that we're not uh being doxxed or being targeted with well, with hate mail is a good day yeah. another good day for the podcast uh, it's unfortunate that that's how a lot of you know, marginalized creators have to go about things. But, um, you know, you're starting to see more and more, like I think a big win last month was Twitch for the first time introducing um, a trans tag. Um, so but previously, Twitch uh, had only an LGBTQ tag, which also included allies. And tags are the main way that you can find content creators that you want to um, that you want to watch on Twitch, big streaming platform. Um, but the problem with the LGBTQIA tag is, like we were talking about earlier, uh, no community is a monolith. There are lots of gay and lesbian people who don't think transgender people should exist. Those, those we're all together under mm. the LGBTQ tag. Um, there are, you know, lots of allies who have certain ideas about who should be. LGBTQ, and they're also in that tag. So having a trans tag specifically allows us to find each other, to build each other up, to create our own safe spaces. And I think really just giving people the flexibility um, is, is pretty crucial to allowing more safe spaces to, to crop up. Yeah, I agree with everything Spencer said. <laughs> I don't have a lot of critics like that. Uh, I guess one thing I could throw out there is I think, you know, on the other side of the coin, a, a space can you can have your safe space taken away. I think you can also grow out of a safe space. Mm. Like you can feel safe in a space at one point and then you educate yourself enough to a point or you just, you just grow uh, in a way that doesn't align with that space anymore. And that space might not feel uh, right for you anymore, like the right fit. So that's a, another thing that can happen. Mm. They're not permanent. I just saw this question from Mike Clemens. Video games can be a, can be safe spaces, but have you ever felt betrayed by a game slash scenario slash character? I just wanted to say this a quick Please. one. One of the one of the things that within five minutes always makes me feel betrayed is when um, people are like, "Oh my god, this super inclusive game came out! Like it has an awesome character creator. Um, there's all these options for body type and skin color and customization, and without fail." <laughs> I will go through it. I'll get so excited to finally make a character that looks and feels like me. And then it'll say, what's your gender, male or female? Ah, and you're like, no, it comes crashing like, down around no. you. You are so, oh my like, God. Like, so often too in games where like the character creator itself is very inclusively set up where like all of the quote unquote men's hairstyles or women's hairstyles, like if you're a female character, you can still have the sure. men's clothing and hairstyles and so on and so forth. Like it's it's all 
it's all non-binary and all oh all mixable anyway. And yet, when it comes down to it, you're still making me put myself in a box. Am I am I male or female? And it's like, I don't know. That's that's one of my one of my pet peeves and one that I'm hoping you know we'll, we'll just keep pushing. It's just like. I think too, it's hard for me to justify because in a lot of these games where you're picking a gender, it's really just about what pronouns do you want should the NPCs refer mm-hmm. to you as when they're addressing mm-hmm. you. Um, something like that should be as simple as, uh, you know, you could add a third choice, a, a neutral they, them, or you could just let me input what my pronouns are. But it's not like you have to code an entirely new, um, you know, uh, string or, or, or situation. Like you don't have to build a new character in that space. It's really just... It's just uh, a UI uh, thing. So that's a small thing. That's also a big yeah, thing. Also a it's huge like, thing because they, they lead it yeah. up to be something that it's it's just not. They're like, okay, we yeah. are so inclusive. Oh, my God. We deserve awards. We've done it. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So we've done it. And then, and then completely you're bamboozled by like, and here's the binary. You can't escape. That is yeah. freaking... I, I can understand feeling incredibly betrayed by that. Uh, Jamie and Spencer, we have to jump to ads. Uh, so I'll turn off your cameras for now and we'll jump right back into the conversation after the ads. Hi, everybody. It's me, Grace Vaughn. And I'm going to read the ads now. My very first time reading the ads. Uh, let me scroll. Okay, so first and foremost. Most. It takes a team, okay, to make the Cozy Robots. It takes a team. It doesn't just grow out from the ground. It takes a team. Uh, And uh, some of that team is me. Some of that team is our incredible executive assistant, Amy Hill, and our producers, Tanner and Victory, and uh, my uh, co-host, Mike. Uh, Some of that team is all of us behind the scenes. And then some of that team is all of you, the Cozy Robots. This is how you can get involved and help the Cozy Robots show grow. You can join our private Discord. So earlier in the show, I said that I would explain what Discord is. (laughs) Basically, it is a forum, an online forum, where we can all talk and hang out. And as uh, is the uh, subject of tonight's episode, it is a safe space. Uh, Mike always says, woe to the person who ever puts hate speech in that private Discord. They will not last long. We have really awesome events there as well. We have a new book club where we meet a few times every month. We do fun video game streams and we have an after party after every episode. I will be at the after party after tonight's episode. Um, uh, Okay, so on this, it says this week we were playing Among Us together. I'm not sure if that is true. Check social media to check if that is true. Um, but we sometimes we have fun guests who come and do uh, shows for us. It's wonderful. So that's ad number one. Ad number two is BetterHelp. Join over one million people taking charge of their mental health. The easiest, most convenient way to get mental health support. Licensed professional counselors who uh, can, professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self esteem. It's perfectly adapted for this era of social distancing. You can text, chat, call, video. Work with a licensed expert that 
they find for you. So when you sign up, they actually pair you with somebody who's perfect for you after you take a survey. Um, and then Mike, uh, if Mike was reading the ad, he would say that he uses it every day. And you can get 10% off your first month. So go to pet- betterhelp.com slash cozy robots to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash cozy robots. Let's welcome back our guest co-hosts, Spencer and Jamie. So if you're just <laughs> tuning into the show tonight, I am joined by Spencer and Jamie of Pixel Therapy. It is a podcast about gaming and also emotional intelligence, understanding emotion, understanding ourselves as human beings. It goes deep, people. And tonight we are going <laughs> deep as well. We are talking about safe spaces tonight. And some awesome questions came in as we were talking. Spencer grabbed one of the questions earlier, and I'm so glad that they did because it was an incredible one. Jamie, I'm going to throw this question to you. So Spencer answered this earlier, uh, uh, and and this question is from Mike, who joins us from YouTube. Hi, Mike. Um, Video games can be safe spaces, but have you ever felt betrayed by a game slash scenario slash character? Spencer gave a fantastic answer to this question. Jamie, do you have any thoughts about this? Anything come to mind? And also the answer no is totally totally cool as well. Yeah, I was kind of sitting here racking my brain like, trying to think I don't, I don't have I don't have a good answer that's totally I can't, okay I can't, I can't, that's like, totally like, what are video games my mind well, here's, the thing. Like- here's the thing it's this it's the same thing that happens I don't know what the science behind this is but what happens to our minds when someone goes like okay quick what are your top favorite mm-hmm. movies and you're like never have I ever seen a television set before. Never have I ever. And then you immediately start thinking of like movies that are absolutely certainly not in your top five. <laughs> like I guess uh, this. Yeah. So I totally, I totally know what you're talking about. So if well, that one's, wait, oh, I'm go gonna, ahead. I'm gonna interrupt <laughs> because it, the question made me think of Jamie. I just remember us talking about how in games, it can be so rare that we have representations of fat characters where they aren't the butt of the joke or mm-hmm. seen as like, mm. like a, um, you know, the fact that fat bodies are treated like jokes, like clowns, like co- in contrast to, you know, a main character who is thin and, and able-bodied. Um, like you see that so often, especially in um, like video game character design, where usually the idea the archetype of a hero is like thin, white, blonde, usually male, um, fit, and whatever that means is a very narrow definition of what is fit. Um, and so I, um, there was a couple games that you had been playing recently, Jamie, with uh, with bigger characters um, that you know were allowed to be fat and that not to be a thing. Like one that comes to mind um, was our guest. Um, Earl T. Kim, who plays Norio in the game Ghost of Tsushima that came out earlier this year. Um, like he was a character who uh, was, he's a big fluffy cinnamon roll of a man. And he was there serving like fat Asian representation. Like he was kicking ass. He was um, the main character's like confidant. And we were just talking with him and with each other about how it's so rare to get a game where you're able to see and celebrate a body type that's different from what's considered the acceptable norm um, because mm. there's nothing wrong with being fat. Uh, and, 
right. and just, it, it was, it was really liberating and awesome. And so I guess like, I just, so Jamie, I'm answering this for you, but, <laughs> no, but like, I know that's, 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 that's what pod- friends are for. I'll see my podcast with Spencer. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just remember all the best things I've ever said. Uh, no, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, I just, I'd like, we don't even see fat characters in games hardly ever. Like I think I, I would be hard pressed to even list the the like fat characters that exist in video games. And then when we do, on the rare occasions that we do see them, they're usually uh, mustache twirling villains or buffoons. <laughs> and so yeah, Ghost of Tsushima, Norio's character definitely stood out for me. Another recent one was Miwako from Thirteen Sentinels. Um, she wasn't a wasn't a character that you could play, but she was one of the side characters, um, and she was just like really like <laughs> fleshed out is going to sound like I'm making a fat joke, but uh, <laughs> she, was, she was like a really uh, well thought out character. Um, and her being chubby was like never a point of like conversation or part of the joke or anything like that. So those are both like refreshing takes. Uh, th- those were times when I didn't feel betrayed, but pretty much any other time there's a fat character in a game. It's usually I was watching, this is not a video game, but I was watching a movie quite recently and it's a new movie and Mm. a side character who is a fat boy is constantly, constantly eating a huge, like a hoagie Mm. that was bigger than it like would have hurt his stomach probably to eat the whole thing. Um, Constantly, every single scene and the skinny other character was taking it away from him and kind of like not outwardly saying like, not outwardly chastising, but certainly kind of like the person in charge. It was a chastisement. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, and it's, it's that kind of visual, like, you see that and 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 the wor- i think the wor- one of the worst things about that is it becomes subliminal mm-hmm. like it's not a topic of conversation rather it's just in the background it's happening and that's feels almost worse because if you were to actually talk about it you might see the error in that uh and how harmful that can be when it's just a oh a side character that we're not talking about that's doing that for comedic relief it's like come on, like what (laughs) completely unnecessary to the plot and also not funny and also doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I, that, that reminded me of that movie. I I just recently watched it was, it was a shame because, because it just, there's an opportunities with, with, um, companies that have such a reach. They know, I'm not going to say what movie it was, but they, it's a huge production company. They know their reach is huge. They know everyone's going to be watching this movie. You have, in my opinion, not only this wonderful opportunity to say something good, but also a responsibility. And, and, and same goes for video games. I think there are some video games. I'm just learning about them. I'm very new to the world of video gaming, but, um, there are some video games that feel like if they said something good about a group, then it would mean a fuck ton because there are so there are so many people who will play this, who will see something like, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes the really meaningful shit feels like to me, and please, I want to hear y'all's thoughts about this, but the really meaningful inclusion can be like, oh, they're, they're there and we're not focused on the fact that they're fat, trans, 
They are a part of the plot. They have their own character. They're um, joining in on the adventure. But it's not like a, a topic of discussion or they're there what are your thoughts on that right. i know i'm getting away from safe spaces we're but people. i would love to hear right. your thoughts <laughs> right right like, we're people. like i think you know um when we when we allow these sort of um uh like i think mike in the chat make a great point it automatically forces your thought process into thinking the heavier characters are goofy or shouldn't be right. taken seriously and the muscular character is always the hero when we allow these things to go and we just keep accepting them and say nothing if we don't point them out, we are allowing it to become normalized. And we're, like you said, subconsciously, we're folding that into what we now assume fatness equates with or transness equates with. And so by just naming these things and pointing them out, that is activism in and of itself to just to just question, just questioning what you've mm. been fed and taught over and over again, I think is one of the first most important steps to um to creating lasting change internally and, and and to inspiring change in others. Like, like there, there are studies about, and I wish I had something more specific to point to, but just interrupting, like just interrupting a statement and having that interruption. Like if you see someone um, make a sexist comment at work and you are a man makes a sexist comment and you're another man who works with him, just interrupting that and being like, hey man, I didn't think that was funny. You don't have to go into a whole- You have to pull out your page. Paper. Yeah, pull out your paper. All you have to do is be like, oh, that 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 wasn't cool. That discomfort of of sort of causing a social mishap can be enough in a lot of situations to just make someone think about what they're saying and change their minds mm -hmm. or just be like, you're right. I, I shouldn't have said that. Like, like really, we don't have to all be like social justice warriors. We just have to be paying attention. Mm -hmm. Damn. I get a lot of mileage out of and, and I ask this of myself too, but like, if I'm laughing at something, I just take a like, why is it funny? Mm. And yeah. and a lot of the, a lot of these things that we've decided are funny are actually anti something. Right. <laughs> like it, right. And that's not that, that's not like my hot take on like tearing down comedy. I love to laugh. We all love to laugh, but I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just important to question like what is funny about the thing that you're laughing at and, and to similarly, you know, like in the situation that Spencer described, like that's another opportunity where you can just ask, why is that funny? Because a lot of times when we actually poke at that and get someone to try to articulate why it's funny, like in that case, the answer might just be like, because they're a woman. It's like, and you're like, oh, like, and why is that, that funny? Like, no, no, that's right. funny? And you go, and there it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we won't be talking or laughing at that anymore. Yeah, that's really, I mean, both of oh, both of what you uh, are saying is is to pay attention, to really look, and and um and 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 like Spencer said, you don't have to write a dissertation on it. You can just be the dude bro who tells the other dude bro that that was lame. <laughs> Like, and then, yeah. and then sit in the discomfort with him and then maybe explain a little bit later, you know, when he's less completely embarrassed, like be, you know, like, Hey, that was lame because blah, and then move on from there. Um, so I kind of derailed because I had to talk to you guys <laughs> about that stuff. It's, it's so important. And, and you both have such incredible things to say about it, but let's return to safe spaces for a second. Although all of this is safe spaces, truly. Um, so invisible hearths on YouTube says, for those of us who tend to retreat and not want to reemerge, what are some good practices for transitioning back 
out of a safe space, ideally with the confidence to tackle life's challenges again. Do you all have any experiences returning to like challenging Mm -hmm. life? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm speaking to a North American context here where we're we're all quite privileged to be able to have uh, pretty equitable access to the COVID-19 vaccine. But I'd say a lot of people are probably uh, relating right now to the topic of figuring out how to navigate um, re-entering life, taking on a lot of life's challenges that were put on that may have been put on hold um, during the pandemic. Um, this this negotiation of okay, the CDC is telling me that we have a trust system where people who are vaccinated cannot wear masks and everyone else who is not is expected to wear one. I guess I have to go outside and just trust my neighbor that they're telling me. There's just a lot of anxiety. And for me, um, so I'm someone living with um, uh, complex PTSD, a generalized anxiety disorder and major depression. And so I can very much relate. I, I saw that question. Thank you for asking it. Um, Cause that's something that I could really relate to um, just as someone who tends to, when I am feeling high anxiety, I certainly retreat. I, I, I retreat to a space that I, my room where I can control. Um, I'm probably binge watching TV and just mm-hmm. putting off all of my responsibilities. I'm not answering texts. Um, there was a really great article um, by Swapna Krishna for Wired that came out earlier this week um, that it was specifically about. Um, so we're talking in the context of video games because we're gaming content creators. Absolutely. Um, but the article was about how in this, you know, during the pandemic, games have been a lifeline for people who have felt incredibly isolated. Like people have been gaming, wow. like the gaming industry kind of exploded. People have been gaming more than ever before. And now we're in this period where, um, you know, it's summer here again in the U.S. Things are starting to open up. People are maybe having the opportunity to see family for the first time in forever. Maybe people are being asked to come back to work in person, um, where before mm-hmm. they were working from home. Um, mm-hmm. Schedules are changing. Um, social norms are changing. There's just a lot. There's so much in flux and so much to make a decision about. Um, and because people have have leaned so much on games and found so much solace in games, there's almost this feeling of pressure where like the more you do something, um, the more you time you invest in something, um, you start to feel like, oh, well, I've invested so much time in this thing. I, I should keep doing it. Or I'm not a real gamer if I stop. Um, and so this psychological attachment of, of wanting to, you know, deserve the hobby that you've invested so much time in can create a lot of anxiety and tension in people who are like, how can I fit all of these things into my life? Um, and so basically what I'm saying is like, it's okay to step away from some things. Like it takes a lot of mental energy to, um, as you said, try to try to re-enter, uh, re-take uh, on the sort of challenging aspects of life. Um, if that means that you have to um, step away from something um, that brings you a lot of joy um, just because you don't have the time for it, you don't have the energy, you don't have the mental capacity for it. It doesn't mean that you are any less a gamer or that you uh, that all that time you spent was wasted because all mm-hmm. that time you spent with the game was really beneficial. It got you through this really tough time. You learned new skills. You, maybe you found a new hobby that you really liked. And all of that will still be there for you when you come back. It will be there waiting for you. Um, so I think that that's something that can be applied to, um, to 
that philosophy can be applied to a lot of things. I think anxiety for me manifests where I feel like I need to do everything all at once. And if I can't do all of the things that I like to do, then I'm failing, something is wrong. Um, but we live in a society that puts a ton of demands on us constantly. We live in a society where we're constantly being distracted. Um, we have a lot of uh, pressure to spend money, to work, to live up to certain societal expectations, to perform success, to perform a, a right. rich social life. Um, it's just all of this outside pressure to be and look a certain way. Um, so all I want to say to you is um, navigating, re-entering, or, or taking on life's challenges, coming out of a depression, whether you're coming out of a depression or coming out of a global pandemic, um, it will take time. Um, the things you love, like there's no rush to to be living life the way or re-entering the way someone else is. Um, moving at your pace, surviving each day, it's it's a testament to your strength that you've gotten this far. Um, so I would, you know, just take it, just try to package, make a to-do list, get one thing right. done each day. Mm. You're nailing it. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're feeling a desire to retreat, I think it's important to like recognize that, hold it, figure out why you're feeling that. Um, exactly what Spencer said. You don't have to feel, yeah, we, we just, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and what other people are doing and how other people are behaving, how other people are processing things, yeah. how other people are doing X, Y, Z. And I do it too. We all do it. Um, but it's not, not fucking good for us and the fact of the matter is is like you know internally like what feels right for you so try to take a breath and listen to that and if you do have real concrete goals that you want to take steps towards find ways that you can do that 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 feel safe that challenge yourself in ways that you feel like you have energy for and when you run out of the energy step back again it's okay it's okay to retreat it's okay to need to recharge to find that safe space and step back into it for a bit and then try again another time, um, you're probably going to be your own worst critic about it um, at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if Mike were here, uh, so it, the people watching this probably know, I see a lot of familiar uh, avatars out there tonight. But um, so Mike has autism and he has a very uh, stringent uh, schedule when it comes to uh, knowing knowing when he needs to take a break and, and not beating himself up for that. Knowing that right. like, Hey, I, I, I am overwhelmed by this party. I have to step outside. We've talked about it countless, countless times on the show. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. Jamie, just taking that time and, and not beating yourself up about it. A exactly what Spencer was saying as well. Not beating yourself up about taking the time that you need. So we've, all come to the end of the show, but I have one last question to ask Spencer and Jamie. It came in from Elizabeth S who has been so awesome tonight. Like Elizabeth all of you S. have been incredible. Elizabeth S all of you guys have been incredible. You've been sending amazing questions in throughout the show tonight. And Elizabeth is going to wrap this episode up with this question. In what ways can I advocate for myself so that I can make an unsafe space safer for myself and others? What are your all's thoughts? So, yeah, that's an incredible question. And I think a very noble question um, because at least for me, the spaces that are unsafe, um, like I, I think that 
depending on the size of the space and the makeup of the space, it can be uh, like digging a hole in sand, um, trying to be the one, be the change um, in a space that is toxic or where enough people have decided that, you know, they're defining the space. So th that's kind of a, I would first try to assess, you know, am I the only one who feels this is unsafe? Are there others like me who are feeling the same? Am I able to connect with others who share my view? Um, what are things that we've tried already and how have they gone over? Um, what is the, do I feel safe approaching leadership of this group? And, and what does that look like? Um, you know, I think that in a lot of cases, um, you know, people of color, queer and trans people, we found that the safest thing to do and the best thing for our mental health uh, and continued prosperity is to create our own spaces. And I'm not saying that that's always like, it shouldn't have to be that way, right? Like it shouldn't be like, okay, if you want it, you need to go over there and build it yourself. Um, but I think knowing very little about the context of the situation you're in, um, I would always just remind myself that, that that is also an option and it is not a failure on my on your part if you're unable to change the space you're in. It's a failure uh, on their part for creating a space that's not sustainably safe. Um, so, you know, I think just um, trying to approach with empathy, trying to find others um, to support you um, are my initial ways of going about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Spencer. Pick your battles, find allies, find people who feel similarly and are willing to um, help you engage in that conversation with the leadership. If if you are the leader or if you're in a space that's amenable to trying to becoming safer, um, just some like facilitation things that I found that help uh, setting, co collaborating to create ground rules on the space, mm -hmm. like actually writing them down. What are the ways that we want to interact with each other? Uh, what do we want this space to be like? And and actually having it written and posted somewhere, uh, you know, I don't know what the format is for this space that we're talking about, but that could be, you know, if it's a meeting, it could be a document that gets read through at the beginning of every meeting. If it's a public space, having it posted. Um, the other big thing to consider when you're creating those ground rules is how are we going to hold each other accountable? to these. I think this is something yeah. that I've really been learning recently in the spaces that I've been trying to facilitate is that like you can come in with all of the good intentions in the world of creating a safe space. But if you don't actually create a system for accountability, uh, no amount of good intentions or even ground rules are, are going to get you there because people are still going to go against the ground rules yeah. sometimes like the, that's still going to happen. And there has to be a mechan an agreed upon mechanism of how that's going to be dealt with and responded to so that's really important. And then um, if you are the facilitator or or for the facilitators of the space, uh, just don't approach it as the expert. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what I try to do when I'm facilitating conversations. Like you don't have to have all the answers. You don't need to position yourself as the expert modeling vulnerability and modeling, like just asking good questions and saying, I don't have the answer. Could we try to come up with this answer together? Um, can be a really great way to get everyone um collaborating towards making that space safer as opposed to coming in as, from on high. And, you know, I don't know the situation. There's definitely times where you have to come in and say like, Hey, X, Y, Z is toxic and we yeah. need to stop that. Like there are situations like that, sure. but depending on what the nature of the dynamic is, 
sometimes coming in and just asking questions or saying like, I don't have the answers either, but I'd love to try to find them with you all um, can, can be a really great way to get people on, on board with it. Uh, Cause you know, we're humans and we are usually more amenable to getting on board when we don't feel like we're being told we're inherently bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, point, I guess one thing I want to build on to to that last thing you said, Jamie, is just that shame or embarrassment can be such a paralyzing emotion, one that can absolutely throw you off and and stop you from progressing and and sort of either holding yourself accountable or moving through a painful situation. Mm. Um, And I think like... um, just remembering that, I, I think to, to bring it up the question is um, just sort of reflecting on what is making you feel unsafe. Like I believe I could not to say that what you're if you're feeling unsafe. I'm not saying that not, not saying this to invalidate that feeling because if because I I totally um, hear that and that happens all the time. But two, I think it's important. Um, to sort of reflect on what's making you feel unsafe and make sure that you're differentiating between what is making you uncomfortable and what is actually causing harm. Because sometimes being uncomfortable uh, can be really important and useful for you as a person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, this, that the space is unsafe. It just means that um, maybe you're having feelings that don't feel good. Um, and so I think it's just important to to just do some self-reflection on that first um, and know that that shame and embarrassment can be moved past. And if you're in a, safe, a truly safe space, there are people there um, who want to help you move through and past that. Jamie and Spencer, you two are the best. Thank you so no, much. You're the best. <laughs> you did so good. Elizabeth Thank S. You. is the best. Elizabeth, <laughs> let's give it up for Elizabeth S. tonight. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jamie and Spencer, so much for being on the show. Um, thank you, Cozy Robots, for coming out to this very special episode with the Pixel Therapy hosts. Um, I am going to just jump in to this end card right now. My first time reading it. Um, okay, so wait, before I wrap up, you can find Jamie and Spencer. Where where can you be found, Jamie and Spencer? On online, on all online. the uh, pixeltherapypod.com or at pixeltherapypod on Instagram, which is our personal favorite platform, and Twitter. They are incredible. Thank you all so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you, Cozy Robots, for watching. And tonight I would like to say that you can like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow and like us on all the social channels. If you DM, uh, you'll get a response from me. Howdy, hey, my name's Grace. Uh, you also can sign up for our Patreon if you liked this episode and want to see more episodes in the future. Go to CozyRobots.com to sign up for that and you will get access to our private Discord. The Cozy Robot Show is made by the most talented and supportive team in the entire world. I'd like to thank the people who make this show possible, each and every one of you, the Cozy Robots, um, the executive producers, Tanner Hearn and Victory Palmazano, produced by, uh, oh my gosh, my name is on here for produced by, that's very funny, Grace Vaughn and Greg Nordine. Woo, Greg. Production support, Amy Hill, who is in the chat tonight. Community management, I don't know why I'm reading the things that I do for, <laughs> okay. Um, music by Madison McCargan. Mason McCargan, we didn't hear the music tonight. Design, Sydney Smith. Motion graphic design, Landon Satterfield. Set design, Jesse Lane. Interiors, actually, no, because <laughs> Mike wasn't on tonight. And of course, if my
Mike had been on, we would have seen his lovely outfit, which was picked out by Jenny McCarg, his wife. So wardrobe stylist and craft <laughs> services goes to Jenny McCarg, as always. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Have a great one, Cozy Robots. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. The Cozy Robot Show.